in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. Welcome to the show. Three weeks since our last podcast, and the entire March Madness tournament has came and went since uh, we recorded on the Wednesday before the tournament started. An unbelievable uh, tournament. Obviously, the the uh, the cream of the crop, if you will, was the Final Four matchup between UNC and Duke. It was everything it was advertised to be an unbelievable game, and and ended up the way I wanted it to uh, to see Coach K go down in flames. One last time. Now, Andy, we were mentioning this just a second ago before we hit the record button. Uh, you are the greatest jinx in Wake and Take podcast history. Uh, on the last episode, you were just like you did with the Packers going into the playoffs, uh, the NFL playoffs this last season. Full steam ahead on your team going all the way, and it was a very early exit for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Just a quick pulse check. You're still bleeding. Uh, the earliest of exit. Black and yeah. gold. I, uh, I'm still bleeding, in, uh, still bleeding black and gold. We've got a uh, you know football season, spring game, all that fun stuff right around the corner. Um, but I mean, it was agonizing, and it's classic Iowa. I mean, I don't have to say much more than that. Of course, we fucking drop an egg um, in in March. It was actually it's interesting. So, so uh, Fran McCaffrey as Iowa head coach. Hasn't lost a first round game in the NCAA tournament, and he hasn't won a second round game. Oh wow! So this is his first first round first round game he, he he's won, and like we've had some ups. Like we've been the one like as a ten seed. I know I think as an eleven seed, another year upsetting team. We always win in the first round, never in the second round, and always lose in the first round. I mean, the loss is coming. Yeah, I I knew right when. We were recording that episode that it was going to be an early exit for the Hawkeyes after you were just a hundred percent in. They're going all the way. This is the team. This is our year. Uh, yeah, that was about all you could say for that team. We also got Parker with us tonight. Parker, it's been a while since you've been on the pod, but how did how did March Madness go for you? How are your bets? How are your uh, brackets turn out? Did you win any money? Uh, like like the people listening, the brackets were busted. It was a crazy year. St. Peter's on an awesome run. So uh, it was a good consolation prize to see them um, be the only 16 seed to go to the Elite Eight. So, yeah, uh, betting-wise, not the best, but entertainment was definitely there. Yeah, I, I missed all of the Elite Eight Sweet 16 games. Um, I was in Ireland. I think I mentioned it on the pod, but I was in Ireland last week or like a week and a half ago now during those games. And the only game I saw was St. Peter's versus Purdue. Uh, it was the Elite Eight game, I think, on Thursday or Friday, maybe. Um, only game I saw from that entire weekend. And I was big on, on Purdue going into the tournament. I love Jaden Ivey. He's, he was my number one pick going into the tournament. He is no longer my number one pick. We can get into that later. Uh, but to see him go down to, to St. Peter's was brutal because uh, I, I put all my eggs into Purdue going to the Final Four. And, uh, yeah, obviously – my buck, my bracket was busted as well. I had Gonzaga winning it all, so that uh, that didn't go anywhere for me. Um, any other moments from the tournament that stood out? I know it's a while ago now, but uh, anything well, else I, besides I, Coach K leaving? 
I, I uh, noticed something interesting uh, during one shining moment uh, the other night. Um, and and I, I, I didn't look back at any previous year's one shining moment and, and what all they include, but they included the, whoever the North Carolina player was who took that last second shot to, to potentially tie that was, I mean, basically an air ball. And that was like the second to last clip they showed in one shining moment. And if you're that UNC player, you know, you make this miraculous run into the championship game. And like one shining moment, you know, can be like something you look back on to remember your run. And for the rest of his life, that, that video is going to end with him basically airballing a shot. Like that video is going to suck for him for the rest of his life watching that. I don't know if anyone else noticed that, but I, yeah. I, I just thought that was odd that they included that as the second to last clip in, uh, in the one shining moment montage. Yeah, I mean, I would that, imagine. That, Go ahead, Parker. I was just going to say that player was Caleb Love. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of their, you know, their go-to guy throughout the tournament. Um, had some uh, had some prop player prop bets on him going into the championship game, and he fell flat on his face. Yeah. Um, I was probably paying more attention to it than the average viewer, uh, but he was five of twenty-four from the field. So yeah. it's not very conducive in winning winning this national championship or uh, winning money. So, 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 you, so you're saying he deserves the rest of his life to like feel shame upon that game, and every time you watch his one shining moment, to feel go back and remember how he missed the game tying shot at the buzzer. You know, I, I, I don't think I'd wish I don't think I'd wish that moment on anybody. I just want him to know that he lost me a sizable amount of money. Um, because he decided to lay an egg and the moment was too big for him. So yeah, that's what I want him to take away from this game. Yeah, and he was he played great. I mean, the night the the game against Duke didn't. How many points did he have in that one? I don't even. Uh, a lot. I don't have. He it shot super head, good in that game. That, yeah, he did hit that uh, the the clinching three pointer um, from the top of the key yep. um, to to really seal that game. So I mean, he was he was their player of the tournament. The, the fan favorite is probably Manic, um, just because of his ginger beard and everything that goes around March Madness and in picking their their underdog favorites. But Caleb Love was really the player on that team that drove that that deep push into the into the championship. But yeah, and he had two shots. Finish at it out if you're going to win it all, right? He had the the possession before when they ended up getting uh, the offensive rebound twice. I think Puff Johnson. And, and side note here, unbelievable names for North Carolina: Puff Johnson, Leaky Black. Uh, I mean, those two just alone, that's that's uh, all time right there. But Caleb Love had the first of the shots, uh, the second-to-last possession. He shot that deep three that just hit off the back iron. Looked pretty good coming off his hand. and almost went, clearly. But uh, And then Puff Johnson took that kind of contested, like, double-clutch three that I think airballed or just grazed the rim. Uh, and then Manic throws it away. But that yeah, I mean, it was a crazy end of the game with uh, – who was the guard ran, running out of bounds for Kansas? Um, number three. I can't think of his name right now, but the dude runs out of bounds. Like the only way they can get back into that game is they do something stupid. They mentioned that on the broadcast, and then Kansas does something stupid. And as soon as that happened, I thought Love was going to – Love or Manic, and I think that play might have been even designed for Manic at the end. I didn't know if they were going to swing it into the corner, but Manic fell over. I don't know if you guys saw the play. He tripped on his own feet or maybe got tangled up with the defender, but he fell over on that final play. Uh, and he was screaming to the other side of the court uh, for what would have been a corner three uh, to, to tie it. But incredible tournament nonetheless. 
And uh, I will say in the one shiny moment, but Andy, I'm guessing back whenever it was that Gordon Hayward took his team, took Butler to the national championship game and they lost to Duke. I'm guessing that shot he had at the end was probably the second to last clip uh, of one shiny moment that year too. So that was like a half court Eve, right? Like it's, I mean, it's, it's not, that, that's a pretty low percentage shot. I mean, the, the, the shot from, you know, the other night was like just your standard three pointer, right? Like Gordon Hayward's shot was, you know, a, like we still talk about it, right? Like what if that shot goes in and what if Butler wins? Um, and again, I, I haven't looked back on previous one shining. I haven't, I haven't done my research on one shining moment. Um, that I probably should have coming into this podcast. I'll try to be better next time. Yeah, you got a whole year to get ready for it. Uh, I always forget how late it comes after. It's like 40 minutes after the game. And, I mean, it makes sense they have to edit yeah. the final clips together. But I was just sitting there last night. I usually try to wait to watch it, but you always forget how long it takes. So you're watching like these just, you know, two minutes of, of content, and then they go to five minutes of ads, and then they go back to two minutes of, of Jim Nance at the podium or to the guys in the booth, and, and it it's awesome to listen to Charles Barkley and, and hear his take on the game. But after 40 minutes of a pretty late championship game, you're, you know, you just want to see one shiny moment so you can go to bed. Well, two, two things on the post game. One, uh, maybe I just missed it. Cause I was waiting for one shining moment too, but did, did they not show Jim Nance giving his tie away? Uh, I didn't see that. It must have. See, I that, I always love that too. That's like it just funny to me that Jim Nance is giving his tie away to some college basketball player, and then Charles Barkley throughout all of March Madness. Feel I know you're in Ireland for most of it, but there were so many times where he's like starting to do analysis, and it's clear that Charles Barkley has been watching, hasn't been watching college basketball. Like he has no idea who the guys are. There's a couple times he just bailed out and was like, "I don't know who the guys are, but you know, Duke's gonna play a great game. Go Duke!" <laughs> like, like it's, it's odd to me that they have the NBA on TNT guys who are covering the NBA all year step in for college basketball when they have at CBS much better college basketball people. To, I mean, it would be like if, like for the 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 national championship for football. They brought in like Adam Schefter and like all of their, you know, NFL people to do the coverage for the football national championship game. Yeah, except for the fact that Adam I Schefter. Li- I think it's a little bit different, Andy, just because you you, you bring you bring Charles Barkley, who's he's just a character. He's an absolute character. Right. Yeah, he has mm-hmm. he has some good analysis here and there, but really what what it does is, in my opinion, is to keep people interested in between those half times or those pre-games, post-games, that type of thing. Like, the average Joe doesn't really care about, um, you know, Baycott's shooting percentage in the paint, you know? Like, they, they want to hear Charles ramble over himself and say, I don't know who they are, go do. So, I, from that standpoint, I understand why they do it. But, I mean, you know, for, for someone who's into it like we are, you know, hearing those statistics might, you know, might be more enjoyable. Well, and and and, I'll, and Parker, I'll, and, and and I get that a hundred percent. But I'll come back with like with college basketball. It's harder to keep up with sixty-four teams throughout the college basketball season, let alone a handful, right? You know, especially when you know it starts off in football season, and you know a lot of a lot of the college basketball season is during college football and the NFL season. And when you get to March Madness, like I want to know the. I don't know most of the people playing. I learn their names through the like throughout the tournament 
And again, when, when Charles Barkley doesn't even know people's names, it's relatable for me because I don't know their names either. But I'm just looking for someone to give me like the names to look out to during the game because I have been watching Duke basketball all year or North Carolina basketball all, all year. And that, that's all I'm asking, Chuck. Like, just give me some names, all right? Like, just tell me, tell me who to look out for, not what to look out for. Mm, there you have it. I'm personally a big fan of Chuck. I think he's awesome. Uh, anytime they cut to him, and when he gets it like mad at the refs, or he starts fighting with one of the guys in the studio, it's just awesome. He, he's a great entertainer. Uh, any other thoughts from March Madness, Andy? Any grieving words to your Iowa Hawkeyes? Uh, no. That's fine. Go Hawks. That's fine. That's Let's it. move on. Let's talk a little Masters. Obviously, ginormous news coming out of Augusta this week. Tiger Woods shows up out of nowhere. He's practicing. He says he's going to give it a go on his Tuesday presser. They asked him, uh, how you feeling? And he said, as of now, I, I'm, I'm going to play golf. I'm going to play golf on Thursday at 9.34 in the morning. He tees off. And I don't know if his pairing has been released yet, Andy, or if we know who he's going to play with. Uh, but his time he's is set. Playing with, uh, he's playing with Louis and uh, 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 Neiman. And, okay. Joaquin the Dream Neiman. That'll Joaquin, be a... Uh, yeah. A big time test for for Neiman, who just won at uh, Riviera not too long ago. So, a really tough golf course that if you can play good at Riviera, you can play good at, at Augusta. So that'll be an interesting test for Neiman and obviously for Tiger as well. Um, I haven't seen a lot. I mean, I've seen a few range videos of Tiger swinging and stuff, and it looks pretty good. Everyone's saying his speed is up, his mobility, his flexibility, all looks pretty good. And I mean, if he's in the field, and if the conditions are going to be tough, which with the weather they're having right now and some of the weather projected for this weekend it's going to be a little chilly the course might be kind of firm never know with tiger i mean if the course is playing really hard i think the harder the course plays the more i like tiger to play well uh but mm-hmm. boy, it's obviously been uh you know 14 months i want to say or, or 13 months since the terrible car wreck at riviera last year so uh we'll see i mean we haven't seen him play golf in a little over a year so you just never know what's going to happen with him the, the thing to look out for for Tiger Thursday and Friday, and, and if he makes it throughout the weekend, is going to be that long left miss with his irons. It, um, it, it sounds like he's, um, you know, with that right leg that he that got, that got crushed in that crash. Um, you know, those swings where he just doesn't, his body doesn't turn as much. He gets a little slippy with the arms uh, and then just brings in that long left miss. Um, but besides that, I mean, like, I'm not saying he's going to go out and win the thing, but it sounds like his game is solid. I've, I, uh, I, I actually have some, some, I've heard some rumblings from down in South Florida that his chipping and putting is just superb because, you know, Tiger's a competitor and, and he loves golf. And for the, you know, past 14 months, um, or not even 14 months, because he revealed today that he spent three months not walking after the crash for the last 11 months, really. He's been just putting and chipping, and that's all he's been doing, and he's been putting so much time into it, and it sounds like his and, – and, and getting up and down around Augusta is, is going to be key. So, um, again, yeah, watch watch for the long-last miss uh, with, with, his, with his irons. Augusta's a second-shot course, so if he can uh, keep his body together, then I mean, he, can, he, uh, he might be able to put something together. Yeah, you never know. Here's the forecast. Thursday, chance of rain, high of 72. 
Friday the high is 66, but it's going to be real windy on Friday, especially in the morning. Um, gusts up to 25 miles an hour at times. On Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, um, clear skies, but highs in the low or the high 50s, low 60s uh, projected for the weekend. So might be a little chilly. You're going to see some uh, some of the winter gear out of the fellows, even though you know in Minnesota if we get any sort of weather like this next weekend, we're all going to be playing golf in shorts and a t-shirt. These guys are going to be bundled up like it's uh, the Arctic down there in Georgia, but should be a good, uh, fairly good weather for them. So we're not going to have any delays, hopefully. Um, let's get into some of the betting well, favorites, unless you had a comment on the weather there, Andy. No, I'll leave it to you, weatherman deal. There we go. Uh, here are some of the changes, actually. Let's go changes of the course. The 11th hole will get a little more difficult. Uh, it's been lengthened to 520 yards, um, hole number 11. The par 5 15th uh, has also been lengthened, this one, to 550 yards. Um, that's the only course changes this season. So there you have it and, for the, for the and, course, and folks. The, the, the key for 11, too, is that they cleared out a ton of trees on the right side. So if you think back to where Tiger on Sunday in 2019 was hitting that alley uh, on the right side of 11, that that alley's not there anymore. It's all cleared out. It's all short grass. There's three trees that sort of linger. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to tempt guys to, to go up the right side more and kind of go for that hero shot, give them an easier shot into the green if they want to take it on. And then they've pulled the water up on the pond up, if that makes sense, towards the fairway. I think Rory said today maybe 20 feet, so it brings that water into play. And they've raised the green higher, so it makes the chip when people bail short right harder. I mean, they've not just had, but they've made that hole super complex. They've you know, probably bought, brought a lot of double and triple bogeys into play. Nice. Uh, so maybe an interesting, yeah, I don't know if they're, can you bet on holes like over par per hole or like on a, on a I don't, individual? Not hole? like for the week, I don't think, but you can bet um, depending on your, depending on your sports book. I know like in Iowa when I'm, you know, gambling legally and responsibly um you, know, you can do hole by hole bets as guys are playing their round sure like what they're going to score in a hole um usually it's just like 30 par bogey or worse uh, but yeah like 11 is going to be a good one 15 those that length it's going to bring the water into play more those are going to there's going to be some high numbers on those two holes this year yeah interesting. And, and kind of speaking to kind of speaking to the fact of how hard the course is um, I, I, ran, I ran across a very interesting fact when I was doing my gambling research this week. Um, tell me if you, if you knew this, but Augusta National has never been officially rated. The, the course yep. rating and slope has never been officially rated. Yep. Um, owners don't, don't want that to happen. Um, but I did find an unofficial rating before the Masters last year, so it's probably a little bit more difficult this year with the changes, but the unofficial rating uh, of the course was 78.1, which is pretty pretty high compared to, I always think back to the 2020 U.S. Open um, at Wingfoot when Bryson won the tournament, being the only one shooting under par, and I'm like, wow, that's got to be the most difficult course on earth. That one was only at 76.4. So I, I was doing some research on that and found that pretty interesting. So we might see some some higher scores this year, um, unlike past years where, you know, 
double digit under par. Yeah, and I think I mean that's, that's a great point, Parker. And I think like what's interesting, even comparing Augusta to Wingfoot, is that that rating for Wingfoot is the rating for members play the 360 days a year that it's not hosting the U.S. Open. So the the fairways are wider, the greens aren't running as fast. Like Augusta is always pretty much in this condition, right? I mean, it is it is always playing this tough. Um, and I think it was Shane Bacon on Golf Channel today, um, uh, or, or this week sometime, made the comment that, um, you know, Augusta is not a hard, difficult course to go out and shoot even par for these professional golfers. It's a real tough course to go out and shoot 67, 68. And when you go out trying to shoot 67, 68 is when you bring 76 and 78 into play. Um, it, it, it's such a, uh, it punishes you when you when, when you want to go low. Uh, you have to hit the shots to get rewarded, and if you don't hit the shots, then it punishes you brutally. Uh, it's just such a spectacular course. Yeah, well said uh, from both of you. Interesting note on the on the course rating. I had never even uh, researched that at all. But yeah, seventy eight. That's insane. Uh, if that's anywhere even near the what what it would be rated as, that's absolutely insane. Let's go through some of the betting favorites, and then we'll get picks from each of you guys. Uh, Parker, I know you got a couple picks you like a lot, so we'll get to those in just a second. I'm going to give you top 10 and their odds. Uh, this comes from the MGM book in Vegas. John Rahm is the leader, uh, or the favorite, I should say, at plus 1,100. Um, here are his last five starts. It was tied for fifth last season, tied for seventh two seasons ago. Three years ago, he was tied ninth, fourth, and then 27th five years ago. Uh, so, you know, just a little bit of intel there on, on the favorite John Rahm at plus 1,100. Justin Thomas, plus 1,200. Cameron Smith is plus 1,400. Scotty Scheffler, the fourth favorite, is plus 1,600. Dustin Johnson at five, that's 1,800. Rory McIlroy at five, as well as Victor Hovland, all those guys at plus 1,800, Brooks Kepka at plus 2,000, Morikawa at 2,000, and Jordan Spieth at plus 2,000 as well. Um, any, I guess, Justin Thomas with bones on the bag. I kind of like that. Maybe that's why he's so high up there right now. He's been playing pretty good, I think. And, and Spieth as well. I mean, he's always done, you know, some, some head-scratching things at times at, at Augusta, but then also just incredible, incredible golf. And it seems like he knows the putting greens really well there so I don't I don't mind Spieth I'm kind of looking at Justin Thomas I don't like Rom at all this weekend I feel like he just never wins and Rory I, I should have got the last five starts for Rory at, at Augusta but yeah I just don't Rory and Augusta just doesn't seem to go together for me it's it, it's uh Rory is fascinating because uh Justin Ray the the, the great PGA Tour stats hero hero had some had some fact this week that like his first round scoring over the past five years is like among the worst uh, for people who've played all five years, and then his second, third, and fourth round scoring is like the best. Like he just can't figure it out. He just has to go out and shoot seventy two on on on, uh, on Thursday, and then you know the rest of the week will fall on the plate. But just hasn't been able to put a good round together. I don't know if it's the pressure of trying to complete the career grand slam or what, but I mean he needs to do it majors for the past couple of years. He just can't play that first round well. 
Interesting stat there. Uh, any thoughts on Hovland? I mean, I haven't really read a lot on him this week, but he, he's up there in the top 10 at, at plus 1,800, really in the fifth place. Uh, any idea on him, Andy, any stats, or Parker as well? I don't know who you like, Parker. Yeah, I think Hovland, he's, he's up there. He's, he's played well this year. Um, he, hasn't, he hasn't been able to finish uh, very strong this year, but he seems to always be around the top um, when the weekend rolls around. So I think I think it's just kind of a recency bias that he's, you know, oh, he's one of those guys this year. Um, so I think that's probably why he's up there. He's a young gun. Um, he's got he's got that that happy go lucky face and and vibe, which I, I kind of like. I don't think I'm putting any money on him this week, but I wouldn't be disappointed to see him win. That is for sure. Yeah, he's one of the few non-American golfers that I I, I like Rory as well, but. I mean, most of the English golfers I just can't stand from Ryder Cups and whatnot. But I, I like Hovland. I mean, he just, like you said, happy-go-luck. He's always got a smile on his face. Doesn't really seem like he cares a whole lot. Not that he doesn't care, but he just doesn't seem like it's you know he hits a bad shot and it's not the end of the world, uh, which, which I appreciate a little bit. Uh, Parker, who do you like? What you, you came in with maybe three bets that you were really locked on to. Yeah, so uh, if you've ever listened to me on the pod before, you know I'm a huge statistics guy. Um, not that that matters, because at the end of the day, it's all crap shoot. But I did my research. I got my statistics. Um, so first and foremost, my outright winner, I'm going with Patrick Cantlay. Uh, you didn't list him in the top 10, um, but he is plus 2,000 uh, to take the Masters this year. Some of the things that um, define him in the stats. He, he's, he's not going to blow you away. He's not going to be John Rahm's top 10 in you know, every statistical category you can think of. But he is top 20 um, in shots gained, putting, off the tee, tee to green, um, fairways and regulation. You, know, you name it. Um, and another big thing is he's fourth right now, currently this year, year to date, in three putt avoidance, which... If we know anything about the Masters, um, that's a killer. That's a killer. You can't three-putt. And I think, you know, a lot of people listening to this that can probably agree that three-putting is um, the one thing that can derail your round the most uh, and can really throw you for a loop. So I really like Patrick Cantlay plus 2,000, um, outright winner in that respect. The other one I like, um, you're going to have to scroll on Bovado or whatever uh, gambling site you're on. Um, Will Zalatoris, top five plus 500 and top 10 plus 250. Uh, in, in terms of statistical category, he ranked pretty high in a lot of them. Approach to the green, fourth. Tee to green, first. Off the tee, eighth. Greens and regulation, ninth. Um, and what Andy said earlier about Augusta is really a second shot course that's really going to come into play. So if he can set himself up well off the tee, um, and hit greens in regulation, I think he's going to be in good shape to finish in the top 10 and, and even the top five there. Yeah, he so was I a, like Will Zalatoris. Was he a T2 last year? Yep. Yeah, he played incredible there. I mean, obviously his putting has been a, an issue this season and probably in seasons past. I just have seen it this year a little bit. But, yeah, his ball striking is insane, and he's just got to hit it close enough where he doesn't have to putt very far. I think he'll be in good shape if he doesn't have to make a lot of putts. Uh, on the on the Zalatoris putting thing, it's not just that he's a bad putter. Like when he is inside 
like when he's five feet away, he figure eights the putt. And yeah. like, if you're a golfer, you know. know what that means. Like he doesn't like it. Watching a professional golfer figure eight a five foot putt, like it makes me it makes me want to like it makes me want to jump off my roof. I mean, it is disgusting to watch. And the guy can make ten footers like they're nothing. It's just those short putts. Like it's any arm locks and everything, but he, he it is it's one of the most disgusting things in all of professional golf. It's not the most disgusting thing. Is every time Zalatoris has a short putt, it is like edge of your seat. Like, what is going to happen here? I mean, he last year at the British Open, he almost missed the ball on a on like a two foot putt that he missed. I mean, that is that that is why I would stay away from Zalatoris this year, is just because it's like that, that short putting, and you can get some nasty short putts at Augusta. And I mean, if if you put something, I mean, I I love Will Zalatoris the way he shapes the ball. I'm not rooting against him, but that. Until he figures out the putting, I'm at least staying away from him. Whether it's top five, top ten, top twenty, I mean, it's, it's I don't know. But that it's being said, all those confidence things. Putting is all about confidence, and I mean, Augusta is a place last year we yep. had a ton of success. So I mean, you can roll in even having not putted well anywhere in the tournament a couple months ago. I think it was in January where he was in the playoff. He had like the eight footer to win it outright on eighteen. You missed it. You looked at a terrible looking stroke. It was a figure eight putt. Like you mentioned, he had basically the same putt from a few feet closer uh, after the first playoff hole, and he missed it again. Same spot. He missed it worse than he missed the first one. Uh, but if you're if you're putting at somewhere that you're really comfortable, like like Augusta, and maybe he is really comfortable there, then I could totally see him taking it all because he's an incredible ball striker. And if, if he's putting him in tight and just has you know three feet up the hill, I've you know somewhat confidence in, in a professional golfer to make a lot of those putts. Zalatoris is someone that I would watch on Thursday and watch and specifically watch his putting. So on, on the Masters app, you can watch every single, it's not every shot live, but you can see every shot from every player. They, they put it up maybe 30 seconds after they've actually hit it. Um, and Zalatoris would be one that I think that you, you look, just look at his short putts on Thursday and then go and sprinkle maybe some, uh, some live money on him, depending on where he is on the leaderboard. But and again, I, I want to see how he's putting on Thursday before I put any money on him. Yeah, I don't hate Andy, that. Andy, I want you to stay as far away from Will Zalatoris as you possibly can <laughs> with your jinxing. I am loving that you're hating on him. I want you to keep doing that all through the weekend because that means I'm winning some money. Parker, final, final who's a, pick. Who's a third bet? Uh, my final bet. And Andy already spoke on it, and I love that he did. But it's Tiger to make the cut, minus 110. Some places have it plus 110. It doesn't matter where it is. You should bet it. Tiger um, Tiger has played 22 Masters tournaments. This will be his 23rd. He has made the cut in every single Masters that he's played in. Ooh. Just put that in perspective. And it's essentially even money for him to make the cut. I'm hammering that. And, yeah. and the thing with the Masters, too, with when it comes to making the cut bet, is so you have a field of 90 players, so it's the smallest major field of the year, right? Top 50 in ties make the cut. You've got 10 guys right off the bat. You know, you got, like, Larry Mize or Sandy Lyle and Mark Kalkin. No, I mean, not Mark Kalkin. Yeah, all the, the, the past champions who, who aren't going to compete. And... I mean, it's, it's really more like 80 guys. You just have to beat 30 people to make the cut. Um, I mean, if, 
it, it's something that's probably worth looking at. You know, maybe sprint on some money around six, seven, eight guys just to make the cut. You know, even if it's minus one fifty, minus one sixty. Um, I mean, it's a the, the Masters is the easiest cut to make in in, in all, all in all four majors. Yeah, that makes sense from a from a numbers perspective at least. Uh, but from a pressure side of things, you got to look at the guys who perform well in big tournaments because it's a big tournament, and it, there's obviously it's, it's a lot different when you get the automated birds chirping in the background uh, during your putts. Uh, Randy Parker, any other thoughts? I guess let's see. I have a few other nuggets. Oh, here here's one thing. Nothing to do with the Masters other than it was at the Masters. Did you guys hear about the Dude Perfect video uh, in Amen Corner with Bryson DeChambeau? Oh yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I liked it. I, I watched it. There, it's getting a lot of hate in the golf world. I'm sure Andy in just a second here is about to come on and say, this is a disgrace uh, to Augusta. And it kind of is, but it's also kind of funny uh, because everybody hates Bryson or a lot of people hate Bryson. And it's just funny that he's at with dude, like the last people you'd think they let into Augusta, some YouTubers uh, who played uh, Augusta with like tennis rackets and they're playing with kickballs and with like Frisbees anything but a golf club, essentially, and they, they played uh, 11, 12, 13 with Bryson DeChambeau. It released on YouTube on April 2nd. It's the April 5th today, 6th by the time this comes out. And when I last checked, it had 6 million views or just under 6 million views. So, I mean, it, pretty incredible getting that all the way out there to, to 6 million people in that's, just three days. That's more people than have watched the 2019 Masters broadcast from Sunday. And that's only in a couple of days. Like that, that is absolutely incredible. I mean, for me, I'm fine with it. The only thing that I hated about it was Bryson, and I didn't realize Bryson would be in it when I when I clicked the video up. And when he popped in, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like Bryson, what the hell are you doing here? Like you're like this was probably filmed in in what maybe February. Um, I'd have to guess maybe early March because they had the grandstands up and everything. It's a seasonal club. Like Bryson was. The WD and some tournaments because of some mysterious wrist injury that he got while playing ping pong with Sergio Garcia, and he's just whacking volleyballs and all this shit. Like that—that that was the one thing that pissed me off about this video was was Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, and they also had Jim Nance in it. He was narrating some of yeah. the uh, <laughs> the intro. I mean, I think some of the other stuff they used was just yep. like old audio, but he narrated the intro. He's like, "Dude, perfect," and Bryson DeChambeau, the all sports battle, and I mean. How do they get, first of all, how do they get the masters to let him in? And then how do they get Jim Nance to do the, the voiceover on that video? Truly impressive. Um, other stuff I have from Augusta. I think that's it. So, John Ron, um, Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I was just going to add that if the, um, if, if the conditions are going to be windy, um, in cold weather, um, that is a red flag to that Colin Morikawa. Uh, the guy just doesn't know how to play in the wind. Um, lucky he got his his British Open or the Open win. As some of the calmest weather or so. Um, so if it's going to be wind gusts up to 25 miles per hour, um, that's just going to fluster Colin Morikawa. Even though he's the best iron player on tour by far, once you add wind in, you just it's balls are going all over the place. Uh, and then my, uh, my, uh, I like Kevin Kisner this week. That's, uh, 
he's the only one I've got a I, I got a top ten and I got him to win at plus eight thousand I think. Um, so those are um, who to stay away from at least the weather's gonna be bad and then who uh, who I'm backing this week. There we go. I would love to see kids win that. That would be just epic. Such a good dude. Oh, and also, I forgot to play my music. Dang it. Hang on. I was going to play this as we started the, uh, the Masters segment. I don't know if you guys can even hear this over the phone, but. We got a nice. my ringtone on my phone. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. I was also going to put some birds chirping in the back. Hang on. Get ready for this all weekend, fellas. All right, that's enough of that. We'll we'll let the birds chirp for just a minute. Um, I, I just feel safe. I just feel safe when I hear that. You know. Yeah. It's like I'm going home. Yeah. It, that that sound reminds me of a couch nap. That's the ultimate couch nap theme song right there. Not only is that my ringtone, but I have my uh, my Alexa play that uh, play that and like gradually get louder to wake me up in the morning. And it is the most peaceful thing to wake up to every morning. It, like it's not like an alarm clock that just smacks you in the face. Like it's like it's like angels are like you know pulling the covers off of you and lifting you up. And it's such a great way to start the day. It really is. It really is. I'm excited all weekend for this right here. Uh, let's get into a little Wolves talk uh, to wrap the pot up here. And we'll also talk, chat, just a, a little Twins and Wild as well uh, as the Twins have their season opener on Thursday. But Wild, two, or I mean, sorry, Wolves, two games left in the regular season in action right now against the Wizards. And we're down by six with 34 seconds left in the third quarter. What the bleep are we doing uh, against the terrible Washington Wizards? Uh, but... Really, it, I guess this game doesn't matter too much. We still do have a chance to move up. We need a lot of help. We need to win our last three games, including the game we're down by now five uh, in. But we need to win out. We need Utah to lose out, and we need Denver to lose two of their final three just to get into the sixth spot. Um, so all of that not looking like that's probably going to happen. So we're going to get the seventh nope. seed, and we're going to play the L.A. Clippers. Yes, Randy. Sorry about that. We're, we're doing this over the phone. The audio can be a little weird. Uh, the certain, again, when you're listening to this, these games will be over. But as we're looking at it right now, uh, the the Grizzlies are down six to the Jazz. We want Grizzlies to win. And then the Spurs are up on the Nuggets uh, by the second eight points. Um, so if, if the, we're, we're rooting for the Spurs and Grizzlies tonight, that would be huge for the Wolves, um, you know, win or lose tonight if, if those two teams can drop a game. Yep, then we'd be within a game and a half of, no, rather just half a game, actually, of the Jazz and a game and a half mm-hmm. of Denver. But, uh, yeah, we, we need to win all three, and we got a fairly decent schedule, I think, uh, left. I had it written down here somewhere. It's uh, Wizards Spurs Bulls. There you go. Down the stretch, all at home, too. Yeah, all so, at home, which is um, if we if we can pull those three games out and somehow uh, Memphis can pull pull one out uh, tonight against the Jazz, um, we just we I think I think we would just need the Jazz to lose one more game um, because we would be up a half game 
um, after two. We just couldn't lose that third because then the Jazz would take over. Um, and they played the Suns on Friday. So that could definitely be a possibility um, of, uh, of losing there. Yep. And it looks like Denver finishes the season with the Spurs, Memphis, and the Lakers. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there's some room to wiggle. Let's assume for now we're going to go with the anti-jinx here. Let's assume for now we're going to get the seventh seed. As it sits right now, we're going to put that. That would put us against the Clippers in the first play-in game, the 7-8 game win, and we're in the seventh seed playing the Grizzlies in round one. If we lose, we'll play the winner of the Pelicans and the Spurs, if everything holds as of right now, for a chance at the eighth seed and a chance at the Suns in the first round. Uh, Parker, any assuming we get the seventh seed, any uh, preferred path? Would you rather play the Suns or would you rather play the Grizzlies? I'm assuming you're going to say the Grizzlies. And, uh, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, so, I, I mean, you don't want to play the Suns in the first round. They're an absolute buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Chris Paul just came back. Devin Booker has been in and out of the lineup, but I guarantee you when playoffs go around, he's going to be full go. Um, I mean, the, the Suns are leaps and, leaps and bounds above everybody else in the league right now. I mean, from record-wise to, I mean, just simply watching them play. Like, they're so good. So, um, I, I mean, I I think I think the, the way the Wolves win an actual playoff series for the first time since 03-04, I think it would be, is if they get that seven seed, play the Memphis Grizzlies, and we played them good this year. So I, I think we're two and two against them this year. Um, all the games have been close except for one blowout where we beat them by like 45 or something. That was early on in the year. Um, we kind of started the, the momentum for Memphis. But I, I really think that if we do win that playing game against the Clippers, which I'm not, you know, 100% confident in because. Uh, Paul George is, is starting to play again. He is on a minute restriction, but that that will be gone in the playing game, I'm sure. Um, I, I think we have a good chance against Memphis. I think we do. Uh, we For some reason, Towns plays really good against Steven Adams. Uh, we've seen that this year, and John Morant is, is he's out of the lineup, but he'll probably play, but I mean, that won't even matter. Memphis is like, what, like 20-2 and two without John Morant this year? Like it's, it's absolutely insane. But um, regardless, I think we have a good shot uh, of winning that series. I would definitely, from a gambling perspective, bet on the Wolves to win that series. Um, not just as a homer pick, but as a team that really no one wants to see in the playoffs just because we've been so hot since the All-Star break. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think the way to go, uh, the only way for us to win a series is if we play Memphis. Yeah, and you're right, 2-2 two and two against Memphis. We lost the first one. Um, it looks like Randy dropped the call, but that's okay. Um, we lost the first one against Memphis in overtime. That one at Memphis, we beat them at home. We destroyed them, like you said, back on November 20th. It was a 43-point victory. Then we lost on January 13th at Memphis, and then we beat them back home um, a little over two, about a month and a half ago by five points. So we've won the two at home. We've lost the two on the road. Uh, But that's really the only path, and I'm with you. I think that's the only path for the Wolves to get a playoff victory. But it would be awesome. The play-in games are going to be awesome. Just both games at home. Uh, Hopefully it's only one game. But if you get two, you you know, just an extra play-in game at home, it's going to be a great atmosphere there. Uh, Maybe maybe we'll have to scalp some tickets, P-Bomber. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, I, and the, the other thing I just wanted to say quickly about him is is uh, D'Lo, I think it was around the All-Star break, kind of called out the Wolves fan base and, and was like, where are you guys supporting us? Um, and and he, he was kind of right. I mean, we weren't really backing him, uh, but for good reason. We've seen this before with, um, I mean, you can go back to Jimmy Butler's short time here. They made the playoffs and got gentlemen sweep by the Rockets. Before that, you have to go all the way back to when we were in diapers, essentially with KG and and when they were a powerhouse in the Western Conference. But it is a fun time to be a Wolf fan. Like they, they've, at least for me, and I think a lot of people, they've they've weighed the momentum to yes, we actually believe that you guys are a good team. Whereas it's like, oh, they're playing well now, they're they'll, they'll fold eventually. And that's kind of been not just the Wolves memo, but I mean any Minnesota team's memo is hey. Give us some hope and tear us down. Um, so I'm really hoping that's not us this year. I would really love to see, you know, even if it's just one, one uh, series victory or even just, a, you know, a game seven or something like that, just to give us uh, some, some life into Minnesota basketball. Yeah, I think I think you hit it right on the head there. A lot of the fans are, in, and myself included, I mean, I've watched more Wolves games this year than I have in the past 23 years of my life combined. Uh, just because it's a fun team to watch, they play hard. They actually play some defense, and they and they win games they're supposed to win, which is uh, what you expect of a, of a playoff caliber basketball team. And I think that's what we got. So if they can win a series, if they can even just make some noise in in, in round one against Memphis, assuming that's who we get, and and we get to that spot, I think that'd be a, a a good thing for the fan base and a good thing for this young team just to get some playoff experience and maybe even get a game seven experience as well, um, because it's it's not our year yet, but. Their, their time is coming, and every game you can play in this sort of atmosphere and in in, in playoff atmospheres is, is going to be very beneficial down the road for this team. I was listening to Chris Finch talk about it. I think there's a guy on the team besides Pat Beverly who has more than four or five playoff games uh, experience. Pat's got like 62 playoff games under his belt, but there's not a single other player on the team with more than five. Uh, so it's obviously going to be a totally new experience for the majority of the Timberwolves, but super pumped to, to see how that goes and especially excited for some playing games and that atmosphere at Target Center. It's going to be electric. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And one, one other thing I'll kind of touch up, you, you mentioned it. This year, it, it's not their year. Uh, sorry to anyone listening who thought it was. It's not going to be their year. Uh, but what I will say is look forward to the, what would it be, 20. 23-2024 season. Um, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Jared Vanderbilt will all be on their last year of their rookie contract. Um, we'll be able to clear up some cap space, whether it be uh, with D'Lo or uh, some of these other guys who are taking up some, some room like Torian Prince. Um, although he's been very good this year, uh, but look, look for that to be a year where the Wolves make, make a a serious move and a push in, in, into the deep playoffs. Um, just from a cap space perspective, they're going to have a lot of room to work with. So it should be interesting to see in the next couple of years what the Wolves decide to do with the franchise and which direction they go in. Yeah, definitely. Well, marking that on my calendar, 23-24 season, Timberwolves are going all in, and I hope they do. Let's talk just for a second. We'll hit the headlines at least for Twins and the Wild. Twins set to open the season on Thursday at Target Field. That game likely to be pushed till Friday from what I've heard um, over the last 24 hours or so. It's going to be 38 and rainy on Thursday in the Twin Cities. So not ideal for opening day baseball, but uh, 
something to look forward to if it's on Thursday night or if it's Friday, which is leaning like Friday. Now, rookie pitcher Joe Ryan will start for the Twins, first rookie for the Twins to start since 1969. So get to watch Joe Ryan. We got him last year in the trade for Nelson Cruz. Didn't play, obviously. He's a rookie, so he didn't play at all, and now he's uh, getting his opening day start for the Twinkies. So we'll see what that uh, pitching lineup looks like. And Car- Carlos Correa. Get, uh, we got one of the cheaters on our squad now, so we'll see uh, what the fans think of him. Yeah, definitely, definitely excited to see uh, what the what the Twins have to offer this year. Um, yeah, I'm a little little skeptical of them just because uh, they fell into familiar patterns going out, getting some older pitchers that you know debatably past their prime. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out. I mean, it worked when they brought Kenta Maeda in for the one year, and then. You know, the next year he turns around and he looks like he should be in the minors, basically. Yeah. So we'll see how that works out. I mean, Sonny Gray is um, was really good in his day, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'm excited to see if Byron Buxton can stay healthy. That's going to be a huge key for the Twins. Um, I, mean, it seem, I mean, it doesn't seem like it is every year that he gets hurt and misses, you know, long spans of time. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all in on the Twins. I just I'm not making any futures bets, that's for sure. Well, let me give you one here, just a hypothetical. I bo- oh, let me see if I can find. Uh, yeah, I'll just I'll just make one up. I heard him talking on the radio, and I think they said um, on KFan today. I want to say it was like seventy-eight was the projected win total for the Twins this year. You like really? the over or the under on that? You know, I didn't even look at that, and that is extremely low. Yeah, they're they're going to be. I think I think they're going to be at just above five hundred teams. Um, I mean, they have they have a lot of returning guys. They you mentioned they brought in Carlos Correa, who, by the way, in spring training has hit three home runs and twenty at bats. Like, you're not even supposed to be you know swinging full in spring training. You're supposed to be looking at pitches. Um, so that's good to see. I, I would I would hammer the over on that, uh, especially with a division that uh, you know besides the White Sox is still subpar. Uh, the the Royals will forever stink in my mind until they prove me otherwise. Tigers same way um they do have some young prospects coming in that you know could sh- shift the momentum in the next few years but definitely not this year so i would say just with the pure fact that they're going to win 75 percent of their division games i'd bet the over on that for sure yeah i found it here uh, or at least one one book has it at 79 and a half i'm still taking the over on that i assume you are too uh, the one and a half yeah probably. might have might have to uh, hop online and hammer that after yeah. we get off the pod here yeah well, we're we're just about done. Last bit, Wild are 43, 20, and 5, still second in the Central Division. Um, I shouldn't say still second because I think they were fourth the last time we podcasted, but 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. Only loss was to the Penguins in overtime uh, about 10 days ago. Big news for the Wild. They got another goaltender, which was really one of the only flaws. I mean, there's a couple other holes in the team, uh, depth-wise, you could say, but they got... Flurry from uh, the Blackhawks, who has got at least one Stanley Cup, I want to say, maybe a couple, uh, but a ton of playoff experience and a, a big-time name to come in and help bolster the goaltending for this Minnesota Wild team with, I think, 13 games left in the season. So they're they're going through the end of April, just running games for like every two or three days, two or three nights for the Wild, and they're actually in action right now um, as well. Let's see, still going on. They're at Nashville, but... 
some exciting things going on for the Wild. They went through a bit of a slump there after the new year and now getting right back to where they started this season, 9-1 and one, in the last 10 games. Let's let's hope uh, th- this this could be our first championship in our lifetime, P-Bomber. I have – I, I know. I, I don't want to pull hey. Randy Jenks here, but, you know, this is a legit – a legit hockey team. We we just need Randy to say that they have no chance of winning, and I will feel a lot better about our chances. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. This is definitely. Um, I know we're talking pre playoffs here, but heading into the postseason, um, this is this is probably the most confident I've been in a Minnesota team, uh, with the exception of the Vikings. Um, probably not my best idea, but I always am with them. But yeah, I, I would say that. You know, they're really putting it together uh, towards the end here, picking up where they started the season. They hit a little slump. But the one thing that I I do think could be a problem spot is if we can't stay healthy. Um, Because there's been, I think, two, maybe three instances throughout the year where they go on these five, six-game spurts where they're just not playing hard. You don't see it. It doesn't seem like they have the energy um, or the will to, you know, compete. Uh, and that's usually due to someone being out. And they've had that happen a few times this year where two or three key players um, are out for a few games and, and they, they start to hit a rough patch. So I think if they stay healthy um, and with the addition of, of Flower, we should be good uh, heading into postseason play. And, and Nashville, they're playing tonight, is uh, one of the teams that they, they might see first round. Um, and I, I definitely like that matchup. So it'll be fun to watch. Uh, I, I'm waiting for a game seven against the Avs. That would seem um, too good to be true in my mind. So definitely looking forward to it for the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, nothing like playoff hockey. It's uh, I, And again, with the Wild, I probably watched more Wild games this year than I have in the last 23 years of my life combined as well. <laughs> so it's uh, it's been an all-time Minnesota winter for me, and I hope these teams give us some more things to cheer about as we move into the postseason, Parker, great to hear from you again, and uh, good luck with all your picks this week with the Masters, and enjoy, enjoy Jim Nance, and enjoy this beautiful song. We'll let this take us out. Appreciate it, Bradley Beal. <laughs> <laughs>